And Father, I want to just add to that. I, I just pray your blessing over this family. That Lord, you'll bless them in every area of their life. Father, we ask that God, this family will be a shining light. Lord, in their neighborhood, in their workplace, wherever they go, of the love of Jesus Christ that you've, Lord, placed upon them. Bless them, protect these kids, and cause them to come to know you early in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Well, that was great. We are, um, I was uh, so grateful for Paul's message last week. I, wasn't that great? He did a great job. And uh, I, had, um, I had called him uh, earlier in the week. He was actually scheduled for a couple weeks to speak. And I called him and said, Paul, I don't think I'm going to be able to. I I have this um, reaction, it's just my body does this, and since I was young, whenever there's like any kind of major work done in my mouth, I swell up like a grapefruit, you know? And uh, so my, my mouth swells, my eye droops, and, uh, and I look like Kazimoto. <laughs> you know, I walk around like this, and I go, sanctuary, sanctuary. <laughs> but... My, um, so I, I had asked him to do that, and eventually it swelled down, and I, it went down, and I was able to actually sit in service and hear the message. And uh, so I can still, though, I, I haven't got my, they're putting in um, post teeth, fake teeth. You, you get to a certain point in your life, and they start replacing stuff, <laughs> you know? So... That's where I am, the replacing stuff. I can, I can suck a straw um, without opening my mouth. It's kind of cool so far, so they haven't put the teeth in yet. But this, this um, today, Father's Day, we want to honor you, dads. You're, we want to honor you. You deserve to be honored. Being a father is a difficult job these days. It takes a takes a lot, and the responsibilities are great, and the rewards oftentimes um, don't come as readily as they should. So I want to say to you dads, thank you, and we honor you today. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Men... We have a lot to be proud of. You know, today there's a lot of tearing down of men, but men, we have a lot to be proud of. We we can do things, we do things that the ladies are unable to do, you know? And so you should be proud. You should be proud that you can go to the restroom without a support group. (laughs) Yeah, and and you should be proud that you can take a five-day trip with one suitcase and you can leave a hotel bed unmade. And you should be proud if someone forgets to invite you to something, you don't, you don't consider that they're not a friend anymore. 
See, we don't have a we don't have to clean our house before the cleaning ladies come, and um, we can sit watch a game without with a friend without saying a word without thinking he must be mad at me. And we can stop by a friend's house without having to bring a little gift. <laughs> if, if another guy shows up at a party with the same outfit, we might become lifelong friends. <laughs> right? And we never go up to a buddy and say, well, do you notice anything different? <laughs> and we're never expected to know more than five colors. <laughs> and we, we can shop for 25 people for Christmas in 45 minutes the day before Christmas. <laughs> We're talented, talented people, and we should be honored. <laughs> right? <laughs> now, The Bible tells us, when Jesus introduced God to us, he introduced him to us as Father. In fact, he told us when we pray, we pray to our Father. Now, he could have said, pray to your mother. He could have. Because God has both masculine and feminine characteristics. We were created both male and female in the image of God. Not just men are in the image of God. Men and women are in the image of God. And yet, when he designated our, our relationship to him, he designated more as a father to a child than a mother to a child. And I think there's some reasons for that. Because even though there are the feminine characteristics of God and, uh, in the scriptures... Um, there are something, there's something about a father, a healthy father relationship that is better for us to understand God through than, than even our mothers. And most people are closer to their mothers. Most people, you know, more people are raised by their mothers, have spent more time with their mothers. And yet God says there are some qualities about fathers. There are some things that the father does that are, they do it, and I, I know I could get in trouble for this, but there are things that dads do better than moms. There's absolutely things that dads do better. There are some things that actually dads do easier than moms. One is a major characteristic, and that is the issue of love. The issue of love, it isn't that dads can love easier than moms can love easier. It's just that mom's expression of love is highly tied to her emotion. If she emotionally is angry, it's hard for her to, to act out love when she's angry than it is for a dad to act out love when he doesn't feel love. That's the way we're made. We're made differently. And so a dad could not feel like love, but he can act loving where a mom can do that, but it's harder. 
her emotions are a lot more tied to that action, you know? And so, dad, dad, you can love easier. Even when your kid's being a brat. And, and you, it, you, you're more capable. It's easier for you not to get emotionally tied into like the battle when it's, when it's going on in a, in a family connection. That's an advantage. And one that God really wants to show because God loves you unconditionally. So when you're naughty, he still loves you. And he will act loving toward you even when you're acting unlovingly. That's the character of God. And it's one that we want to connect with in that way. We live the, the most fatherless generation in history. Other than, other than um, on two occasions, one was after the Civil War and one was after the Second World War. But we, we live now in the most fatherless generation where, par- where fathers are alive but not present than ever in history. And it's affecting us. It affects our world terribly. The fact is, the one quotient that is more consistent than anything else in determining what we would call success for a child is whether there's a father in the home or not. Now, it, isn't, it doesn't mean that someone that doesn't have a father in the home cannot be successful, but a consistency where a father is in the home, the large majority have the edge because the father's in the home. Most consistent thing to determine the success of a person is whether a father is in that person's life. And, uh, but yet, God says, I'll fill the gap. If you come to him, the scripture says in Psalm 68, 5, he's a father to the fatherless. I like that. He's a father to the fathers and a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. Now, when it comes to dads, when it comes to dads, we are all perfect human dads. We're all perfect human dads. That's the oxymoron. Perfect and human. So, the fact is, we're all human. And we, we, you know, we all fall short. And that's why we have the family of God. For those who had absent fathers or fathers who really fell short in a lot of ways, the body of Christ helps us to mend. It fills the gaps for us in our life, in our inter- interaction and inter- in our relationships. They're so important to us in that way. And, but dads, when it comes to fathering, we're made for it. We're really made for it. Now, today, I want to talk specifically 
about, and, and my title is, Fathers Raising Fathers in Babylon. We've been doing this series about navigating life in Babylon. And I want to talk specifically about dads raising sons, but it obviously will spill over into dads raising daughters. It will be important for those who, have, who are fathers and the kids are out of the home as well. And for grandfathers and grandmothers, it will be valuable for every mother. It will be helpful for everyone who wants to be a parent someday and is expecting someday they will be a parent. It will be helpful for anyone who's going to have grandchildren someday. So, it's me. So, if you have any children within, you know, the distance of your, any of your relationships, you'll find something for you. In other words, what I'm saying is, this is for everybody. And if you are a son or daughter of God, it's helpful to know some of these things as well. Because what I want to share with you has to do with fathering, and it has to do with fathering like, like God, like the Father would father. We're going to get principles from the Father God and how to father, and we're going to look at the scriptures and see some of that as well. I, I have, I, uh, I've, Carol and I have raised five children, and um, they are, they're uh, all grown up now. And um, here's a picture. In fact, this is the most recent picture of the five of them together. Um, Katie was just graduating from, from law school, and you can see her, her hat on. And it was the only one that I have in any recent time that one of them wasn't pregnant, the girls. <laughs> so, that. And you know most of them. You know Carolyn and Cindy because of their work here. You know Nicole because she... She uh, sings often. Um, Katie Pirati, she'll, she'll be here, but she, you uh, might, might not know her in any uh, leadership or service area. She hasn't done that in a while. And, uh, but one you might not know, um, m- many of you don't know, is my son Chris. And, um, and so I, I've asked Chris if he would come up. I'd like to introduce my son to you. This is my little boy, <laughs> and uh, you know, in uh, in my household when, when I was young, I just had two brothers, and so you kind of think and process things. So while I was, you know, kind of growing up and someday looking to my future, I always thought in terms of brother. I mean, of son. I actually never even considered a do- having a daughter. Not that I was against it by means. But I just, it wasn't even kind of in the way I processed. It, was, you know, it wasn't until my wife was pregnant going, oh, wait, this could maybe not be a son. You know? and, uh, and we did that four times. <laughs> and, but it was always my dream to have a son. And uh, God gave us Chris when he was three and a half years old. And... Um, He's my buddy, and we, uh, we've, well, we've done a lot of stuff together, right? Yeah. 
no sports thing growing up. And um, fishing. You can remember the fishing trip. Yes. Yeah. Multiple fishing trips. Yeah, multiple fishing trips. One's particular where you froze to death. That's not all that happened that time. No, let's not get into everything about it. Your head was over the side of the boat most of the time. Oh, that was a different fishing. Well, yeah. had to be said. Yeah, that. <laughs> and uh, he's uh, my workout buddy. He's been my workout buddy uh, we were for, for a long time. And then, you know, the fact was I was always having to change the weights for him, you know, lower the weights for him okay. so he could lift and, you know. And it, t- it takes a lot of time to do all that. Totally. So I decided until he actually can start really lifting some he- really heavy weights and start to do some of that, I would uh, let him work out with his girlfriend. So that's what he does now. Well, now she lowers the rates for yeah. me. So. <laughs> but he's my movie buddy because Carol hates the movies. So... Um, and my shooting buddy, and and he picks the wrong teams in sports. <laughs> we have that thing going. It's not my fault. It's you not. pick the wrong teams. Yeah, I know you blame me for that, but um, well, Chris, um, you, as you've grown up, I moved. You caused me a lot of headaches. <laughs> that was my job. I thought. Yeah, yeah, a <laughs> lot, lot of sleepless nights and prayer, all of that. Um, but you had some challenges uh, being a PK, right? Yes, there were a couple. Yeah. <laughs> what were they? Uh, there were two things. One that came to the forefront of my mind when you asked me this question. The first thing is that came was that I had to share my father growing up. You know, Pastoring isn't a 40-hour job. You punch in, punch out, and get the weekends. No, he's here all day Sunday, most days Saturdays, nights, mornings, the whole thing. So growing up, you know, he's on call 24-7 almost. So you wake up, oh, dad got a call, he's gone, he won't be back till later. There's times where I had to ride my bike to my game and come back the same way. But that was less often than true. Most times he was, most of my games. Yeah. That was one thing we tried to do as much as possible, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that was great. But. Yeah. But you had to share me with other people. Other people, other sisters, <laughs> or my older sisters. Yeah. They, they, they spent a lot of, they took a lot of time. Yeah, they're so needy. Taking care of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I would say is growing up a pastor's son is living in a fishbowl at the church where everybody's watching you. Your name's not just Chris. It's also Pastor's Son. So a lot of people want to, you know, watch you do things and then go tell Mom and Dad exactly what you did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a bunch of tattletales. It's kind of hard when you have a 1,000 people tattletaling. Yes, it really is. I mean, it helps out, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Didn't get too straight too far from... And you kind of came out okay. Kind of, maybe, yeah. 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 Came out. Okay. Still love Jesus. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and you're working. Uh, you're working. Well, you are got one more year of law school. Yeah, one more year. Uh-huh. And take the bar. Yeah. Start that. Mm, yeah. yeah. 
Well, um, we'll make up for all the time that your sisters took from you. Thank you. It'll take a while, but yeah, but we'll do that for the next forty-five years or so. Definitely. Okay. Love you, son. Love you. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. You know that it's interesting. The Bible talks about how, um, how in fact, revival is going to come to the nation of Israel. In the last days, the Bible talks about the fact that Israel is going to have a revival. And there's a scripture, actually, in Malachi chapter 4. And there's a whole, there's a lot of, um, end, you know, eschatology to it. I'm not going to get the detail. But I want you to listen to it. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers that say, Come and strike the earth with a curse. In other words, God, before revival is coming to a nation, brings together, does a work that brings together fathers and children. This also tells us or predicts that the fathers will be separated from their children. And we see that happening today. We see that we're in a, we're in a you know, we, we're calling it navigating life in Babylon because the culture works against all the things that really God wants for us. It's always working in opposite direction. The, the, I think there's an attack on fathers today. In fact, the feminist movement, and not to, I'm not blaming just the feminist movement. And when I say that, I'm, I'm talking about the ultra-feminist movement. And, and men, too, have jumped into this to basically say fathers are not needed. And it's not true. Fathers are needed. And there's something that fathers bring that no one else can to a home, to a family, to children. And we always want to make sure that we say that without a father doesn't mean a kid can't grow up in a healthy and, you know, can grow up with a, 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 in a single parent situation or a single mom, can't raise kids. We always want to, you know, kind of make sure that we don't give the impression that that's an impossibility. But we would, I think, and everyone would agree, it's a much more difficult thing to do. And when dads are there, there are things that only dads can bring. And so, well, for it to happen, others have to be brought into that circle that can help bring that to the kids that a mom alone cannot. But what I want to talk about to, to, uh, today is I want to talk about the role of a father. What, what does a father need to do? What's a father need to do? And I'm, I'm going to focus it toward, toward um, guys and not, and, and, and you can translate, okay? You can translate how it works. I, um, I asked Chris in the first service if he remembers the day. I remember um, as he was growing, I think it was about 10 or 11, maybe, yeah, maybe 9, I don't remember. But he was on the roof. I don't remember how he got on the roof. All I remember is he's on the roof, and a couple of his sisters are screaming, oh! 
Then mom comes out, and mom says, what are you doing up there? Get down. He says, I want to jump. And I came out, and I said, well, if you're going to jump, I want you, when you hit, I want you to just kind of bend your knees a little bit and do a little tuck. And mom's going, no, no, no. You know, he's going to break his leg. He says, well, we can fix that. <laughs> but he's a boy. He's not one of my four daughters. And he needs to be a boy. And we didn't let him be a boy. See, we're made different. And there is an attack on masculinity today. You've heard the term probably, you know, toxic masculinity. And what they do is they bind everything that is masculine with everything that is sinful and put it into one big, you know, bucket. You know, there, there is sinfulness that men do. And there is sinfulness that women do. But we don't call it toxic femininity. Only toxic, toxic masculinity. There's an affront on men being men. There are, there are too many people wanting men to be more like women. I'm telling you, that go, will not go well. It will not go well. The end of that is very, very dangerous in a culture. Very dangerous. You try to suppress men, and ultimately, you get more violence than you ever want to imagine. Masculinity is a good thing. When it's under the direction and under the influence of a God, heavenly father who loves. See, God himself has a characteristic of masculinity. And when it's done right, oh, everyone benefits. Everyone. So I'm going to look at four things. There's so much more we could talk about. But I want to look at four things that God has modeled for us and the, and the scriptures talk, tell us about. And the first one is this. A father must be a protector. See, that's what's missing. It's kind of like we want women to be men and men to be women. And, and I understand the pushback against sometimes the oppression on women. Absolutely. And a man wants, a, a, a godly man wants women to be able to accomplish and do everything that they've been gifted by God to do. We want that. We, we, a, a, a godly husband pushes his wife in an encouraging way to do whatever she so desires and do. But to turn and, and in fact, start to push women into male roles in order to somehow prove equality doesn't help the woman and doesn't help the man. It's a mistake. Because what we do is oftentimes we take the role of being a protector away from, try to take it away from men, and men are good at it. When men take that role, we're really good at being protectors. 
And we should have that role as protectors. To protect our family, to protect our sons. We, we, we're in a day, in California right now, there is a, I don't know if you know what's going on in the public schools, but what's been passed in the public schools basically is this. Parents, if your kids go to a public school, the, the public school system, the law, has said you have no rights over what the, what the school teaches your children about their sexuality. No rights. You, you, they, they will not let you, you can't take your kids out of it, the program. You cannot, you know, it, it's actually in the curriculum in different levels, not just a sex ed class, but it's in a history class, it's in an English class. And their goal is to tell their, your children that they're not a boy or a girl, that they're kind of fluid, they're whatever. And if you haven't learned what's going on, you know, you need to get your head out of the sand and start to see what your kids are getting at school on a regular basis if they're in a public school system. And if you don't think that they're not, there is an, ag an agenda, I say, leave my five-year-old alone. Leave my seven-year-old alone. Why are you telling them anything about that? What's your deal? There is an agenda. And it's, it's perpetrated simply because there is a lobbying group that has, a, has influence, and there is... We have a one-party system in California, and, they are, and all they do is do whatever that lobbying group wants them to do. And that's what's going on right now. A dad's responsibility is to protect our kids. We have to be involved in what's going on in our children's life. Hey, where are you going? Where? I, I, you were supposed to be home at... Let me take a look at that. What's, what's, what are you texting right there? What's, what's your friend's name? Where do they live? Let me have their phone number. I want to talk to their parents. A dad's a protector. He, he knows... He's responsible for protecting his kids. And sometimes there'll be pushback. And I would just say it this way. If you don't get pushback from your kids, you're probably not parenting. And any parent that thinks they want to live their life so that their kids never push back, you're a terrible parent. You will be a, you, you will be a failure as a parent. The scripture actually says, this in Proverbs 19:18 discipline your children for in that there is hope see that Proverbs 19:18 discipline your children for in that there is hope do not be willing to to, to uh, a willing party to their death when we discipline our children the bible says this whom the lord loves he disciplines so he only disciplines those he loves if he doesn't love you, he's not going to discipline you. A parent that, that loves their kids 
are going to discipline their kids. A parent that doesn't love their children is only concerned about themselves, doesn't discipline their children. Discipline is a difficult thing. It's the taking on the role of discipline. Discipline in its, you know, its perfect state is this. Discipline is a discipleship process. Discipline is training. That's what discipline is. Discipline is training. When it's, when it's not done right, it's punishment. When it's done right, it's training. So the goal isn't punishment, though it might feel like punishment at times. The goal is to curb, to train. Because your children have a sin nature. Does that surprise you? (laughs) You know, I love to tell the story about my oldest daughter at two years old, Carolyn. I'm throwing her under the bus in this way. And when we brought Cindy home, our second daughter from the hospital, we put her in the crib. Carolyn went to her room, grabbed all of her toys, you know, just a handful of toys, walked over, and we thought, how cute. She's going to give her her toys, her little sister. And she walked over, and she looked over the crib, and she said, mine. Sin nature. Right? Sin nature. All of our children have it. We have it. And our job is to help our kids. To, to succeed, discipline is, 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 is crucial. And discipline is simply, first of all, training our children to obey us. To do what we ask them to do. Go clean your room. Go take out the trash. You know? What, whatever it might be. Go help mom. Go help dad. What, whatever we ask them to do. That's, that's discipline. And here's the key to that. Because we, we, we find challenges in doing that. We say to our kid, go, go clean your room. Five minutes later, I, I told you to go clean, go clean your room. A little bit later, put down the video game, go clean your room. I told you, go clean your room. What we just did is we trained them at a certain decimal point. <laughs> we know the next thing is discipline. Right? So until mom or dad gets to that level, and it might be different between mom and dad, but there's a level of, of de- a decimal that you go, okay, they're serious. <laughs> when you were serious, when you began. But if a child can get a parent to lose a little bit of control, they have gained control. They have control over you. (laughs) Okay, I'll go clean my room now. I just made mom and dad yell. They lost control. I'm in control. But if a parent understands that when they say, go clean your room, for example, go take out the trash, and we say it calmly and they don't do it, 
And the next thing is, not a repeat, but discipline of some sort, incommensurate with the disobedience, incommensurate. We're training a child that when mom and dad ask you to do something, you do it. The challenge is, a lot of times has to do with being tired. Sometimes it has to do with having a strong-willed child. Anybody in here have a strong-willed child? Or had a, you know, okay, strong-willed. Strong-willed child. One of the greatest books ever written is many years ago. I think like 40 years ago, Dr. Dobson, Dr. Dobson's um, uh, deal, you know, dealing with the strong-willed child where he talks about uh, curving the will without breaking the spirit. And what we end up doing is the opposite. We don't, we don't curve the will. We just try to we break the spirit by the way we respond out of anger sometimes and all of that instead of curbing. No hitting your spouse. <laughs> just saw that. Um, so so he, he, the, the point is that when we are consistent, but what we do is we get tired. You're, you're relaxing. Go clean your room. You know, if they don't do it, it's a lot more, it's a lot more energy draining to get up immediately, deal with the issue, maybe even, you know, deal with some sort of, you know, confrontation that's going to happen as a result of this and have then just kind of putting your feet back and say, I told you, and start to raise your voice. Raising your voice takes less energy, but it does less training. And so you do that enough times, the child has learned that sometimes they can get away with not doing it if they can wear you down long enough and not do it long enough until you just kind of give up on it. And... It's not that they're that deceptive. They're just, it's, it comes by nature. You know, it's, it just comes by nature. And, and what we end up doing is we end up training them not to be obedient. And that's a problem later on because they're going to face situations where they're going to have to make choices, you know, sometimes that aren't as comfortable for them in marriage life, in all kinds of things, job-related, but most of all, in their relationship with God. We want our children to, to say yes to God whenever he says, whatever he says, whenever he calls. We respond to God quickly. We learn that. That's why God gave us parents. That's why we're parents, it's to train up a child as Carlos read that scripture in, a, in the way that they should go. And the way that they should go is obedience to God. See? And so, teaching them that way and teaching them, you know, the example is you, you have a rule in the house. In our house, kids, no running. No running in the house. Go outside and run. I don't know if you have that rule. But it's not a bad one. Depends on the size of your house, I guess. You know, 
But no running in the house. So the kids are running in the house all day long. But then they knock over a lamp. And now we say, this is why we tell you not to run. This is why. Because you, you, know, you, you broke the lamp. What you just said is that material thing is more important than the rule. And that as long as you don't break the lamp, then the rule doesn't really matter even though it's a rule. I suggest this. Don't make a lot of rules. But when you make a rule, stick to it. Stick to it. That's the way discipline is supposed to be done. It is challenging. But it's the best way to train your children. The scripture also says in Ephesians 6, 4, And you fathers, do, know, do not provoke your children to wrath. So as you're protecting your kids, don't overdo it. Don't make a rule for everything. Don't, don't control every aspect. Let kids have some freedom. But be wise. Know what's going on. Be alert. Protect your children. Know where they're going. Know their friends. See what's going on. Second, father must be a provider. Jehovah Jireh, you know, this, God revealed himself as a provider uh, to Abraham when Abraham had taken Isaac up to sacrifice him because God had told him. I mean, consider... Consider Abraham as a father. He's got a probably an older teenager, young or maybe a young twenty-something, and he's going to sacrifice him. And he ties him up, and he lets he lets his dad tie him up. I kind of would go, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Before we do this, and that knife is in your hand, um, hold on, dad. Um, you know, but he had such trust in his dad. I think he had trust in his dad because his dad was always truthful. He could always trust his dad. His dad spoke the truth. And when he said, you know, God will provide himself a lamb, he was trusting his dad because his dad was trustworthy. Dad, honesty is so important. So important. That your kids know that you're honest with them. So dads are a provider. They provide direction, discipline, and they provide materially. It's the responsibility of the dad. Now I know in some, some, some uh, households, uh, maybe the wife has a job that is um, maybe more lucrative than the husband. But the husband is still the one responsible. You have to take that role, Dad. You have to take the role that this, this household is going to be taken care of by me, even if the situation is that the wife... I remember when I was in, I was in, um, I was in school, Carol and I were married, it was a, and, uh, and she had this job. She, she, she is very... Um, She's a was a great secretary. She rose to the ranks in Bank of America that no other woman had risen to at her age in the history of the bank. 19 years old, she was up at 
in L.A. in the 19th, on 19th floor um, working for Bank of America, risen up that way. But she got to the place where she was not liking it, didn't like her boss. And we made a determination that we were going to live, at that point, I was working while I was going to school, so I wasn't making that much at the time. And, but we made a determination we were going to live within the means of my income. So that when FT ever just decided, you know, that boss is a jerk, she could stop right in the middle, turn around and say, hey, buddy, I'm out of here. You can have your job. Because we weren't bound by her job providing. So we made a determination that we would live within that kind of thing so she could always be free. And she did. She quit at one point. She took another job and quit that job. Kids came along. We, 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 we worked and we processed it. I took on extra work. Even as I was a pastor and I had the, the responsibility of the church, when the income wasn't there for me, I took on side jobs. I had a friend that had a construction, and I learned, uh, I learned a little bit. I wasn't very good at it, um, but I worked hard. And, uh, and I you know, did drywall work and di different things, and whatever I could. I mean, I, I did all kinds of stuff to make that extra money so that we do it, because I felt the responsibility. I'm, I'm the provider. And it has always worked for us. Carol took some side things when she, she stopped working at home. She used to type. Uh, uh, she was very, very quick, and she would do term papers for people, and they would pay her. She took on children and did, and did some babysitting. All of that was part of the process. But my responsibility was always to be, and has always been, to make sure that we were covered. Number three. A father must be a priest. We need some spiritual fighters. We need some spiritual fighters. Fathers need to pray. The Bible says, pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubt. Faithful prayers, fathers who pray faithfully. See, Men, I want to say this. Your sin is not your biggest problem. Your lack of prayer is your biggest problem. Because any sin that you're dealing with, that you might be struggling with, can be overcome if you'll learn to pray. You start praying and things change. You have a, you have a place within the family, an authority in the family, that when you pray, something is going to happen. You have, a, you have a headship that God has given you. You pray. You pray over your kids. I can tell you more than once, I've said this to the devil. Devil, you cannot have my kid. You cannot have my son. You cannot have my daughter. Reject that in Jesus' name. I stand against it. You've been made to fight. You're a fighter. You know, that's what we do. That's why when you walk out there and you see three or four or five little kids, little boys, they're all kicking each other and punching. You know, they're trying to find out who the alpha kid is, you know, and all of that. 
We're made that way, guys. Do you think that's in us so that we can just kind of do our karate chops with one another? No. God put that in us because spiritually, he made us to be warriors for our families. I have never prayed with my children or over my children as the pastor. I take a much higher role. I've always prayed for them as their dad. Because to me, that's the highest place to pray over my children. Then lastly, a father must be a prophet. See, he tells his kids what they can be, what they can do. We give them a, a positive picture of their future, like a heavenly father did. Our heavenly father took and changed names of people, like Abraham, which means high father. He changed his name to Abraham, father of many nations. Abraham, this is who you are. You're the father of many nations. He looked at Jacob, which meant surplanner, or, you know, this guy's a conniver. And he says, no, you're not a conniver. You're Israel. You're prince with God. He, he, looked at, he, he looked at Gideon hiding in the, in the threshing floor from the enemy, hiding, afraid. And he says to him, no, you're a mighty man of valor. You need to know who you are. Dad's we need to start telling our children who they really are. Because if you don't, the devil will. If you don't, the world will. You start telling your kids. You give them a positive picture of their future. You let them see themselves successful and in, in, in godly and men of God who are changing the world. You see them as fathers you, uh, uh, taking care of their kids, providing and, and blessing. And you see them you know, winning over the world. You, you look at the things that they do well and you highlight it. You see? You highlight it. You see it. You see their potential. And whatever it is, there's something great in your children. And I think sometimes when we're trying to curve our children from their weaknesses, we fail to do the opposite. As we're trying to curve their weaknesses we fail to look at their strength and see its potential. Because even every potential strength can look like a weakness at times. You know? The, the picture I showed you was my daughter Katie. Boy, can she argue. She's known for being a very good arguer. That never looked like a positive thing. That'll work well for her when she's uh, an attorney, right? Same with Chris. Different, different makeup, but I mean, we look at our kids, you know, their potential. I look at each of my daughters. They have strengths in them. Sometimes those strengths look like weaknesses or they get them in trouble. Why not look at that and say someday, you know? You're always talking. Always, you gotta always be talking. You know, someday, you're gonna probably be in front of thousands of people talking. Someday. You know what I'm saying? 
There, there are these things that sometimes even irritate us. You know, they, maybe they're all emotional. You have compassion. You have such grit. You know all that? God's going to harness that. And you know how that's going to be used? You're going to touch people's lives. You're going to touch people's lives. You're passionate. You get passionate about things. And right now you're getting passionate about the wrong thing. But someday... <laughs> You're going to get passionate about the right thing, and you're going to take it. It's going to change the world because that's who you are. See, all of us need, to, need someone to tell us who, and remind us who we really are. Dads, that's what we're supposed to do. We do that. I want to encourage you. Make that part. You need to be a prophet over your family, over your, over your children, and even over your spouse. Be a prophet. Bless them. They need someone to bless them. I bless you in Jesus' name. I lift you up before my Father in Jesus' name. Be blessed, my child. They need to hear that. They need to hear that you love them and you see the best in them. Because if they get a picture of their future, God's picture, nothing else will satisfy them. All the lies, all the deceptions, all the enemy offers will never be good enough because of the picture you've, you've, you've drawn for them of what God has for them. Everything else will seem mundane. That's what a dad does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the dads here. And Lord, I know there are dads that when we talk about these things, we've all failed. We're all human. We've all fallen short. And Lord, it's easy for the enemy then to start speaking into our minds about our failures. But Lord, we don't go back. We just go forward in Jesus' name. Lord, the influence that we have on our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, or whoever, God, you place in our life, God, I pray that we'll be faithful in what we have now. And we'll be those, Lord, those influencers that will make a difference. And I pray for every dad here, Lord, not only will they walk in the blessing, God, today, but throughout this year, that, Lord, your love will just embrace, because every dad deserves it. And I pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers as they'll come. We're going to receive the offering. We're going to give. We're going to worship God with our our gifts, our offering, and with our voices. And this is how we're going to close. And they'll come back and bless everybody in, in prayer. <laughs>